Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Faith in Action podcast brought to you by Christian Union Mortis. I am your host, Caleb Watt, here with two co-hosts again, both wearing black shirts, both absolute ballers, wearing, uh, one of them wearing headphones, the other one isn't earbuds. That's okay. Here are my co-hosts, Tommy Kump and Isaiah Scott Smith. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well, Caleb. I'm also doing well, Caleb. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Tommy, what, you, you've like polluted Isaiah. He doesn't say compliments anymore. <laughs> um, okay, why, why are you guys doing well? Oh, oh, why am I doing well? <laughs> why because are in front of me right now, on a laptop screen, is the face of the one and only Paul Um. Hello. Hi, Paul. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hi, Isaiah. I love you, Paul. Love you too, Caleb. Now, Paul has been with Christian Union four years. He's a senior, and he is not exec, but he has been on multiple MTL positions. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely a big name and influencer. The you of Wuck, the legendary sound Ooh, crew. Which is oh, that shirt we're wearing? So recruited by Isaiah oh, wow. Scott Smith. He is our, he's like the, um, uh, what's his name? The oh. Simon Cowell to our One Direction. I you were going to say Professor X. Okay. <laughs> That's another example that might have been <laughs> yeah. more masculine. Um, Interesting. But whatever, whatever example you choose to use, this is the team right here. Wow. And Paul's a big part of it. Wow. So, yeah. Paul, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself to kick us off? Um, yeah. Maybe I should have given some of these things more, more thought before I started so I didn't have to spend so much time thinking about it. Um, <laughs> like... I don't know. I'm a, yeah, just graduated from Penn with the BBB with honors. Let's go. Summa cum laude. I'm going to be spending the next year in DC doing a volunteer program with my church that, uh, hmm. yeah, that I'll be spending my time in a Christian home, working for the community, learning what they know and being taught how to be uh, God's hands and feet. So I played loads of video games, probably way more than is good for me. <laughs> um, but life's good. Beautiful. So now we'll get into your testimony. And really, as you've heard in the other ones, just start wherever you feel like is reasonable to start. If that would be high school and talking about your family and how you grew up, coming to college, wherever you would like to start, you can start. Well, I guess, I mean, the story definitely starts before me, right? My parents emigrated to the United States, my dad first in, I think, 91. And then my mom came in like 95, I believe. And both of them had converted to Christianity from a Buddhist background. So I guess my faith journey, honestly, starts, starts with them. So I always grew up in a, a Christian home. I, we always went to church. Like, I remember in high school, like, there was not a single day in high school where there was time to catch up on sleep. Every single night was, you know, six, seven hours of sleep every day and not even a Sunday because we would go wake up early. We would go to the church. I would help my mom, you know, fold the bulletins for the Korean service that started at, at nine o'clock in the morning. So we would be there at 8.30 at the latest. And so, and our church was a, th- a half an hour away. So we were out of the house by eight. And I just remember church being, it was good. It was good. It was fun. It was meaningful, I believe. But I also remember it being incredibly difficult to be there just because I was so tired all the time. Just not, there was nothing that happened. There was nothing going on with me except that my physical body was just not having it in, on Sunday morning. So that made my faith, I think, I couldn't pursue it honestly, I think, because first of all, I was young. My brain's not that big yet. It's still developing, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm just doing what my parents are telling me to do at this point. And so I was interested, for sure, interested in what Christianity had to say. And uh, I wanted to know what Jesus was saying. And I wanted to to try to match what Jesus was saying to what I already believed about the world and place Jesus into my worldview. And I thought I was smart enough to figure that out and smart enough to reconcile what I understood already and what Jesus is saying. And one of the issues with my, I guess, youth group 
I guess, it was that it was not very gospel-centered. It was more, like, moralistic, I suppose. Like, oh, why don't we, you know, why is there evil in the world? So we have these stories to explain that and kind of talk about how Jesus is involved with that, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's like more of a open-ended teaching method where the youth group members are, are asked to do a lot of the interpretive work on ourselves. And there's not strong orthodoxy being taught. So this really set me up to have great analytical abilities, a good way to think about the Bible, good way to talk about scripture and process it, but very weak orthodoxy, right? So that means like, I could think about it, you could tell me, but I might not reach the right conclusion. And I don't know what the right conclusion is, right? So I think for me, that was that was good because it let me make my faith, it gave me the abilities to start making my faith my own. But it was bad because I think I was more interested in my worldview and putting Christianity into it rather than the other way where I my worldview is transformed by 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 Christ, right? And along yeah, it was it was really that I guess arrogance that really I think prevented me from experiencing the fruits of faith in high school. However, I think I was really lucky because I got to experience God in my AP bio class where I was learning all this stuff about cells, about biology, and how intricate life is and how how amazing the balance, the thin line between life and death is and how our, our bodies are designed to to maintain their function. And I was like, there's no way. I still believe this. There's no way that that was made by random. Like that's not by accident. There's just, it's just, even the fact that I think that this is beautiful points to there being a God, right? Not just, not just it being so impossibly intricate that it must be, be created by something intelligent, but also that I have this ability to look at it and also appreciate it for its complexity and beauty. And and so with that like conviction, I was able to say, God, you are real. I don't know what you have to do with my life. I don't know what my relationship is to you, but I recognize that you are real in this world. And I don't I'm not I'm not gonna back down on that belief. So that's kind of like where I was coming out of high school and coming into college with. And I feel really lucky because coming into college, I had my parents to like have accumulated this like history or like like a like a a store of memories of how a good christian should be in my mind from my parents and remembering what they do remembering what they have done for me for others and then that like acts as like a well to start you know what what does this mean for me now what is what does this faith mean for me it's not just jesus falling into my worldview but how, what does my life look like when I fall into the following Jesus, right? Becoming a disciple, what does that look like for me? So, yeah, I don't think, honestly, when I think about it now, I, I was struggling a lot. There was a lot of, I put a lot of pressure on myself, a lot of responsibility. I mean, I could psychoanalyze myself all day. Long story short, I was a, a lonely guy uh, growing up. Not lonely in like, oh, like there's all these, like lonely in the fact that there weren't people around me and that I, there was loneliness, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say that that was like the, the primary mood of my, my, my childhood years, but I was alone and I think I never felt like there was anyone who was for me on my side who knew me. My parents didn't know me because I could only half communicate with them. My teachers didn't know me because they only see me in the classroom. My friends don't know me because they're all white. They don't understand what it is to be colored, be seen as different. They don't eat the same things as me. They don't think about the same things as me. I was, uh, you know, like there was no one who was, who could understand completely my experience that I knew of. And, and, and I think that, and I think that now I've, I found that that's, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. But I didn't know that. And so I struggled a lot with that. And so I, I put a lot of responsibility on myself to be, I am the only one who can help myself. I'm the only one who can accomplish my goals. I need to cultivate certain skills and have mastery over these things in order that I can be successful and protect my own interests, protect my own goals, achieve my dreams. It's on me. 
It's on me. And so I slaved. I worked so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's more. There's more. There's more. Like, it's, and I got, God has always been protecting my back from the beginning. Cause so it's, I'm a sophomore and I find out that through some process of a whirlwind of a week that I potentially have testicular cancer. And it was, it was the middle of the volleyball season. Doctors are telling me you need to get surgery and we'll see after that if you need to get radiation or chemotherapy. And I get there and I'm on the, 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 the operating table and you know, the, the, you know, 48 hours beforehand when I was like, you know, processing what was happening to me, like when you get your diagnosis, it's kind of like it's it, you get it's mixed feelings because like at one in one hand you 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 feel you feel like you can you that the un, the unknown has been made physical or made real or made solid right you can you can see the outline of the monster that you're dealing with right but at the same time then you can actually see for the first time how scary it is and at that point I I remember it's just instead of feeling sad or fearful of death like i was actually pretty satisfied with my life at that point i don't think i am now which is kind of strange to say but i think god he had my back and he gave me an inexplicable peace with the the reality of death and led me through that surgery and in the end it was a benign cyst non-cancerous so there was no follow-up treatment that was needed and and so i I basically came out of there healthy, essentially, after I healed from my surgery. And yeah, like it's evident to me now that God was protecting me so that I would believe when I had the faith to believe. So I didn't have the faith to believe then during that time to to be like, oh, wow, God, that, w- that was really you. Um, and this is your grace. This is... Uh, just a, a pointer to what Jesus does for me on the cross. And and this means now that now that I understand this, you have given me this conviction that now I want to obey him, obey you, right? And so I never had that. I was like, thank you, God, you saved my life. And that was pretty much it. And I was like, went back to my regular life. But now it's like, yeah, I guess, I guess there are more things, but I think, I think it's, it's better just to start talking about like what's, what's, what's happened in the past four years. For me, this is harder to unpack because I, I feel like I don't know all the the implications. I don't know the whole story yet. It's my story, but I don't know the whole thing. Uh, and so I don't really know how to tell it, I guess. I feel like some of the things that have started now are not yet over with. And so I don't know how to tell the story, I suppose. So I guess I can tell you what is for sure because I was given this the experience of believing that God exists. He's probably on my side. He's definitely on my parents' side, but I don't know what he has to do with me. I think, I don't think I was actually looking for the answer to that question. I don't think I was asking God, like, what do I need to do at first? What do I need to do to be a disciple? I don't think, I think I just like, it is right for me to go to church. It is right for me to, find Christian community. That's what I knew. I don't understand why or where I was going, but I knew that it was right. And so I ended up following Jackson Min and Mark Dong to Bible course. And yeah, that's honestly so lucky. I honestly didn't really like anyone. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it didn't really change much until maybe junior year. And I just felt again, like, it's just, this is not a place where I belong. This is not a place where people understand me. Uh, This is not a place where people, you know, like doing the same things, laugh at the same jokes, care about the same things. And like, for me, the, the, the starkest example was that of every time I went to Philia, I was just like, why am I here? Well, I don't like, I'm not in on it. Right. I'm not in on the jokes. I'm not, I'm not. I don't even have a mature enough faith to really understand what the speaker is saying. Like, why am I here? Mm. And and I felt like that to a degree because I didn't know very many people at Bible course, like the same thing. But yet still, I knew that it was right to be there. 
so I I stuck it stuck in there. And honestly, I don't. That was the only thing, pretty much, that I was doing. I went to church sometimes. I didn't really find a church at that point, freshman year. I I didn't have a home. Uh, I went to tenth sometimes. I didn't really like it. That's okay for all you tenth tenth goers. Like you should like it, but <laughs> it wasn't for me. But I didn't know where else to go, honestly. So, yeah, and and in terms of like other behavior, like I just like the way that I lived my life was for me. It was it was what I thought was what was good in my own eyes, you know how how the Bible talks about how Eve saw that the that the the fruit of the tree of knowing good and evil was was good in her own eyes, and and so I did a lot of I. I did a lot of things that I regret to this day. Like I think about these days and it's just like sends a chill down my spine. And I'm like, that was me that I, I did that. And, and I regret it. And I, and I, and I wish I could take it back. And so I'm still working on that in terms of forgiving myself, but it was definitely, definitely necessary to go to those links to recognize my sin to see what kinds of things it does, to understand sin, honestly, like sometimes, like the, the like the hard way, is sometimes the best way. Like, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> yo, it's like I don't know, I don't, I'm like trying not to think about it now because I don't mm-hmm. need to, I don't need to throw myself in the loop right now. Uh, maybe later. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I mean, I kept up with it. I kept up with Bible course. I was like, this is, this is right. This is the I'm I'm sure that this is one right thing that I'm doing, and honestly, at that point, I was still so arrogant that I thought that everything I was doing was right and okay. I would say that even from the beginning, I was from a young kid that I was I'm very focused on like right and wrong. I'm I'm morally oriented, so a lot of my motivation of what I do is based on what I think is right and wrong. Now that doesn't speak to anything about what what my morals are, but in terms of the center like my, my morality is central to my motivation is basically how it works and so everything that i was doing i didn't see as sin everything i was doing was good and thankfully bible course was enough to keep me in christian union so i could continue on the real turning point though and uh i hope naima doesn't mind me saying this although it's really about me not her <laughs> so i was dating this girl naima uh if you've if you met her then you know she's absolutely wonderful and one of the the most generous kindest people to ever exist and who's also going to be going to rice so go her <laughs> congratulations she and i were dating at that point and and at the very end of our relationship there was a night and I, I'm, I'm like several drinks in, you know, like I'm not, I'm not sober in it at any, in any rate. And I'm just, I'm laying there next to her in her bed. And, um, I don't know what caused it. I don't know how I got there, but I was bawling. I was just uncontrollably crying, crying out to, to Naima, crying out to Jesus being like, why aren't I good? Why aren't I good? Why can't I do the right thing? Why am I sinning? Why am I hurting people? I can't, no matter how much I try, it doesn't work. Why can't I be like you, Jesus? I want to be you. Why can't I be you? And and it's, I feel like, I don't know, I'll leave that for, for your interpretation to, to think about why that's so messed up, why that's so skewed, but... It was in that moment where, you know, I need, like, I realized that I was utterly defeated by the evil in my heart, the evil in my soul, utterly desperate for help to overcome the sin in my life. And yeah, and so that happens week later, broken up with Naima, and now I have all this free time, or extra, like, new time to, to spend on something else. And this is sophomore year, second semester, and I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna invest into Christian Union. I know, like for me, up to this point, it wasn't. I didn't feel at home here, but I'm gonna try to make it feel like home, and I'm gonna try to get to know people, and I'm gonna try to to show up to things and be consistent, and 
Yeah, and and like, and so I went. I went. I went to every Bible course. I went to every philia. I tried to show up to extra things. Try to get to know people and get to know their names and and start like you know, and I think that's when that's that's when it like that's when it started things started changing for me. That was that was that was the beginning of my beginning. So and and I don't the the, the change is inexplicable to me. The the work that the Holy Spirit was and is doing in my heart is inexplicable. I don't really I can't explain what was changing. I don't know what was changing. I can just say that that now, like. I can't imagine not being in touch with my my BC boys. I am internally grateful for the community of Christian Union, and and yeah, and grateful that I got to spend all that time at Philia, which was actually a really awesome experience, Isaiah. Just because you're here, to see like to to go from where I started, go going from like how I felt about Philia freshman year to senior year is an incredible transformation of the experience of what I got out of it. It's just, I don't know. It's miles, miles, miles better. And that might be because I, like, you know, I I know people. But honestly, when you started changing things, I didn't know people. I didn't, I, like, I was trying to get to know people. And I think part of the, the reason why I was actually able to, to stick with it was because it was getting better. Things were improving. Uh, I didn't feel so alone. And I, I honestly, I would have to put more thought into like exactly why and like what changes really mattered to me. Uh, I just, I just remember this, like that every week, every month it was, I had less and less apprehension to go. And so thank you. Good work. And Thanks, I'm sure it'll be miles better when you leave. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and better than that when you're, and, and then they'll take <laughs> it to the next level and you'd be like, wow, that was such a great <laughs> idea. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah. I'm useless. So yeah, good, good times. Yeah, at Justin George James and Gabby. Yeah, Hatcher. there we go. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it back to you guys. I'm gonna stop there because if you want to ask me more specific questions about like how has my faith changed, I think that would be more helpful for me than just trying to somehow construct it in my head to to tell a good story. But that's yeah, I feel like there wasn't. There were hard times that are totally not mentioned in this in this little retelling of my testimony, but I think I still need time to unpack all that and to reflect on how what that means for me. Because I'm very future oriented. I just want to say that I don't really I don't really think too much about like what I did or what I'm doing, but I'm really really focused on like what will happen. Where am I going? So. I don't. I, yeah, I just don't. I just don't spend that much time on 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 dwelling on the past, and I'm always like, okay, what's next? What's next? Mm. I mean, for better or for worse, because that also makes me worry a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, no, thanks, Paul, for sharing that. Um, I have a question. If you guys are ready, I mean, the first thing I want to say, and and like, I know it's, it's, it's not really you, it's the spirit, but I just want to say like, good for you, man, to like fight through feeling isolation and feeling like you don't fit in Christian union. And like, like it, it takes a toughness to faith to be able to walk through that. And even though it's not perfect, and even though like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you hinted at, like there are things you regret and it wasn't always great, but like knowing where you are in Christian union today, I'm really amazed that you were at one point you felt like you were an outsider and then, you know, to see you now in a place where you, you know, you have your walk squad and like, <laughs> I, I think that's really cool. And like, good for you, man. Um, and my, my question is, you know, attached to that, if you'd be willing to share maybe some reflections or struggles on you know, what is it like to feel like an outsider in a ministry in the church and then the transition towards the inside, especially like if somebody is listening to this podcast and they are on the outside, Sure. you know, kind of sure, what are some sure. of the things you would want to say to them about your own experience and maybe what would be helpful to them? Um, well, so the first part of that question to what does it feel like? I mean, I feel like it's a pretty common experience of just like looking around and not seeing any faces that you know, not being able to participate 
in community, feeling awkward when you laugh at the jokes because you kind of get it, but not really. And even if you do get it, it's like, oh, but this joke wasn't for me, right? It's not for me to laugh at. It's like, you know how it's like, you like text like, oh, LOL. You're not laughing out loud, but you just, you just type it because in your head you're laughing. Or you're watching like a YouTube video and it's like, you know, you get the blow out your nose kind of laugh. <laughs> that's kind of what, yeah. like, kind of like what feels yeah. appropriate. But, but when, and, and that's can be a kind of like an analogy. It's like, you're, you're from afar, right? When you're not part of the, you're not, it, the, there's a barrier between you and whatever's happening. And it is for you to enjoy, but not for you to like be a part of or to produce or uh, encourage or, you know, uh, make your own joke, right? That's not your place. You're just there to watch, right? And mm-hmm. um, which is okay. I think, I think uh, sometimes like there is this instinct to be like, oh, we got to get everyone involved and everyone's got to be doing like feel like they're, you know, like doing something or somehow really integral you know sometimes you just gotta, you gotta let, let people lurk you know like they'll come out when they're ready and if they never do then as long as there are opportunities and people reached out it's like i think i think that's the decision mm-hmm. and that kind of ties into like what kind of advice i would give it's if you are feeling like you are uh an outsider in christian union ask yourself like just who do i want to be friends with who do i want to spend time with at christian union I think there's a great there's a great learning curve to be made when you're when you're a freshman in college that that you see that there's these established like social circles and established pecking orders I guess like a hierarchy or like a core group and an outside group outsider group right and and when you go into these new situations your brain immediately works this all out right and the thing about college though is that this group is dynamic. It's changing every single year. There's constant turnover. And one year is going to look, things are going to carry over, but there's going to be constantly new stuff. And that ne- ne- when when you're in that, when you're now an old member and someone new comes in, they're going to be like, oh, that person's core. That person's an outsider. And none of those categories are actually true. I, I think, yeah, it's, if you can find your own, group of people that you really enjoy found helpful to talk to who make you laugh and who are meaningful to you especially like more so like maybe not meaningful but maybe like special to you right i think would be probably better than spend time with them and eventually you'll build a community around yourself that might be core to an outsider in christian union but at the end of the day that's not important at the end of the day Mm. it's you feel like you have enough support and know have enough ties in the community to be like this is me i belong here because like for me i never i'm i don't ever consider myself core to the social happenings of christian union and and i think that's true uh i actually do think that's true i might i might have an effect of maybe leadership which is one that i definitely agree with you see my face a decent amount but i would say that like socially i'm not i'm not starting things I'm not hanging out with all kinds of people all the time. I almost never go to social things. Sorry, Caleb, with freshmen and friends. Uh, so good. <laughs> or post-philia hangout or something like that. You know, like I'm not showing up to those things. And that's I, for me, like, because that's not what I need, I guess. What I need is Bible course. What I need is walk, right? Like those are the mm-hmm. kinds of, communities that i feel like i identify with better than just you know getting to being the person who knows everybody and everyone knows me like that to me is not in that's not what makes me feel like i belong so i think that self-exploration like if you're like i don't feel like i belong here yeah just look just start with one new friend and just keep building because you'll eventually learn what makes you feel like you belong and once you understand that you can you can really say yeah christian union is is my home at penn so i i know that's it's gonna be on a person-to-person basis there's no silver bullet but like Mm -hmm. uh because you know everyone's needs are different and that's a community isn't built with the the same building blocks so yeah stay strong yeah thank you (laughs) all those (laughs) so (laughs) 
<laughs> I beat Caleb to the question. Shoot. Uh, so going <laughs> off of that, with your involvement in the community, so I think sophomore to junior year, you were conferences MTL, and then junior senior year, SGL MTL. Right. So what did taking those roles look like? Especially based on from what I hear in your testimony, when they asked you for conferences, it probably yeah. would have been right around that time of you deciding to commit. So what did like accepting <laughs> those look like? How are they different? Like what? Yeah. What were those roles like for you? I have a kind of funny story about that. So when I was being asked, so being asked to be the conferences MTL, I was like, I was like 10th string, <laughs> you know, like we're going to pull names out of a hat kind of like name. <laughs> it's like, it's, it felt like we've literally asked every single other person and like Tucker comes up, like, like, you know, I get the text and I'm like, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. And then like Tucker comes to me and like, hey, can we talk about this uh, the next week? And I'm like, you know, honestly, Tucker, I don't feel like I'm the right person for this job. I barely know anybody. I don't think that anything that anyone does is that fun. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to make a great conference experience? That's not who I am. That's not what I do. Like, like. And then, and then, like, on t- and like the, the my co MTL Sarah American, nothing against her, but like she, I felt like she was also in a same position where it's like, we don't know who else to ask, and uh, I guess I mean we know that she's gonna go abroad next semester, but maybe she can work it out anyways, right? It didn't work out with that, at least that part of it, which is which, but it all worked out thankfully, thank you Jesus. But yeah, like that's I mean. For me, that experience of not feeling equipped, not feeling like the right person, feeling like I was, you know, wait, this is the exact same experience of like, you know, in uh, Harry Potter, in like, I, where, where is the, the fourth one? Goblet of Fire. And it's like, Ron is like, Hermione, you're a girl. Wanted to go to the ball with me? And she's like, I'm already going if you hadn't, like, if you hadn't noticed or, yeah, right? And it's like, why am I, like, why am I the last choice? Or, like, and, and like I also feels bad, right? It's like, I'm not, I'm not suited for it, so I get it. But it's like, also, like, why am I, like, am I the last, like, I don't know. It kind of feels bad to, feels bad to be the last person, you know, the last string. And, and, Yeah. Anyway, I was like, okay, but you know, like the conversation that I had with Tucker, though, like it was like, I will do it if I'm like actually like the only person who would be willing to do it. Like, like I'm okay, I, I will, I'm willing to serve if there's no one else who's willing. Like, that's something I can do. I'm willing to do something that no one else is willing to do uh, if, if you need it. And I guess this comes back to, to having my, my parents as, as, of role models, they did so much logistical work for not just my church, but for like the Korean community in South Central PA. My dad was like a secretary basically to that organization, the the Korean Association. And I know it's just it's just busy work essentially. It's just like it's just simple. Like you got to print shit out, you gotta you know type some stuff up. Like it's not that fun. But they were willing. They had a heart that was that was willing to serve, humble enough to say, "This is good work, and it's and it's good enough for me," you know, like I'm not above this. And so, I try to channel some of that energy, and um, so I ended up doing it. it. Turned out okay, I guess. I had a lot of trouble getting through that, uh, a lot of yeah. a lot of thinking and worrying and stress and anger, and disappointment, and. Honestly, a lot of those things could carry over to SGL. At that point, I was like, am I even interested in in uh, in leadership in Christian Union anymore? Like, I got through conferences. Do I, should I like do this? Do like another round? You know. But again, I was like, no. But this is it's not just about it's not about me. It's not about what I what I want. But uh, it is, and it was a good experience. I knew that it was gonna be weird for SGL because it's like. We are powerless without the Holy Spirit, especially in this regard. So I knew that it wasn't going to be something that we could just be like, if we just do X, Y, Z, then we'll get these number of people praying and this many people, you know, doing whatever. 
memorizing verses or something like that. So, and I try to figure out a way to think about our work that doesn't require re like results oriented thinking where it's like, I'm focused on what we get out of it. I don't know if I was successful with that, but I think I grew a lot, at least personally in the past year. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. I will say the as a final thing, <laughs> leading in Christian union and or in church in general is very, very interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, what agency do I have? Yeah, exactly. But I also need to know that like everything is like God's grace. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I have to submit myself to that. Um, Tommy, you actually asked one of the questions that I was going to ask. So it's all good. But that's fine because I have another one. Um, Paul, so I think... What I'm interested to hear about is like your journey moving from that moment onwards in your, was it a second semester and breaking out of that cycle of arrogance, thinking that you're the one who knows everything right. or you're able to fit Christ into that and learning, I guess, like the gospel, right? Because like, quite frankly, that's like, it is really shocking to me to hear that part of your testimony because a year later, you're the guy who's teaching me the gospel, right? right? And right. you're the guy sitting me down and telling me like grace, like covers all your imperfections yeah. and things like that. Um, so yeah, so what was your that. journey like with learning learning the gospel? And also, I guess, with like other spiritual disciplines too, like learning how to pray, learning how to read scripture. Oh, baby. And stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> That's actually a humongous topic. Oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> well, I kind of hinted at it before while I was going through the testimony. Um, the real breakthrough... Like one of the few breakthrough moments that I have in my life was that night, half drunk, crying out to God, being like, why can't I be Jesus? And I say it specifically like that. Why can't I be Jesus? Not be like Jesus, be Jesus. Perfect, uh, immaculate, righteous, right? Why can't I do the right thing like Jesus did? And um, in, in, in the way that in that moment, I understood sanctification. Well, it's bigger than sanctification. It's really talking about how you identify in Christ. I was identifying Christ based on my actions, right? I, I am like Christ because I do what he does, right? That's not how it works, right? That's not how it works. And it didn't, it took me this great, like, spiritual, like, shaking like my faith was shaken at that moment and um just like like it says tons in the bible it's like you know the the shaft will burn and and what remains will be uh it will be it'll be it'll be pure and righteous right it'll be made new right and my faith needed that kind of shaking just to make me realize hey paul the way that you're thinking about this is completely wrong you'll never make it anywhere with that kind of line of thinking. And so that was the beginning for me in terms of the the gospel of trying to understand how how to be a disciple. What does it mean to identify with Christ? And first and foremost is that you are forgiven. And that's the one that I'm really working on right now. It's what does it mean to be forgiven yet not take that forgiveness as cheap grace? Because Jesus didn't come for people who are acting righteous. He came to forgive those indebted to sin, like inescapably sinful. And in reality, we all are those people, right? So the way that I, I was thinking about the gospel was more like, like, what do I need to do to be righteous, right? When in reality, Jesus is saying, you are righteous. And that is so simple, and you hear it so many times. But I'm right now. I'm just like, how? But how does that change my worldview? I know it must, because I don't get it. There's more to that statement than I understand. How can Martin Luther say that? Like, I am a sinner, and like, and that in this in his finality and his completeness, his whole his whole being is just sinful. But yet he saves by Christ. And yet he is a disciple of Christ, made holy and righteous and clean, white as snow. But yet he's still, I am a sinner, still. Like, you know the joke? 
the duality of man. <laughs> this is one of those moments, but it's not funny. <laughs> but but to me, it doesn't reconcile in my brain what that means when when Martin Luther can say, "I am a sinner," and yet he honestly is the the most honest or one of the greatest Christians, I think, to have lived on this earth and 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 a great disciple of Jesus. Like how how can he like that if you if you have the worldview that's like it's, it matters what you do, then this makes no sense. Martin Luther could never say that he's a good disciple. But it's Jesus saying that he's a disciple because he believes in it. You know, that Martin Luther believes in Christ, that he is the savior, that he has been forgiven. And that's what makes him a good disciple. But then how are we clean? How are we righteous? How does sanctification matter? And and like, I'm trying to reconcile that. And so just the interesting, the, the, uh, the last bit of that piece that I have right now, or last bit of that puzzle that I have right now is uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and cost, the, the was it? Cost of discipleship. Yep, the cost of discipleship. He says that faith and obedience must come hand in hand together. And he tries to explain what that means, but I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I understand how obedience can come before faith or faith can come before obedience. I get that. But how, what does it mean for them to go together? And that kind of paradox also is really confusing to me just as being a sinner and being forgiven are also true of a Christian. As for other spiritual disciplines, honestly, as for praying, I think, I, th- I don't know, I think I was just gifted, to be honest. But like, that's one of my spiritual giftings, I think. Because I, I practiced, for sure, just by praying out loud and listening to other people pray. But there's some voice in my head that, when I'm in, when I'm like, you know, feeling the spirit, it just starts speaking. And sure, my brain is like thinking about what I'm going to say next, but they never feel like they're my ideas. It doesn't feel like they're necessarily my words. So I don't really have any like, like in terms of advice, if you want to learn how to pray, I think one thing that's really helpful is Praying Life by Paul Miller, obviously. Mm-hmm very great uh and and actually do what he says actually try what he says it might not work out but uh, it's a good experiment and the other piece of advice would just be uh pray a lot uh pray out loud yell when you pray cry when you pray do not be ashamed of your prayer and and i was fortunate enough to have the experience with uh tony evan andrew jackson my like first semester junior year and second semester sophomore year right that's when it started was just to be in the the music room of harrison and just be wailing you know just wailing like jesus please bring revival to this campus that we are so dead and so desperate in need of you and just desperately praying to god and i think uh that will if you can get to that place where that is honest and genuine and and so important you you can feel its importance and its and its and its cosmic consequence of that kind of prayer then hopefully you have a taste of what what the spirit can say through you it doesn't have to be about revival it can be about whatever god puts on your heart but i would say find a space where you can be loud find a space where people are loud uh, that's another key go go find some people who pray like rambunctiously <laughs> And the people at Alabaster are amazing at that. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> Even if they are a little bit charismatic. So, actually very charismatic. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't decrease the rambunctiousness, though. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> they take it to another level, dude. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's... Thanks for sharing, Paul. I think we have a good segue for this because I do kind of want to just switch gears because I am very curious... So you mentioned you are your parents are from Korea, mm-hmm. and you mentioned very quickly, you know, struggling in high school because your friends were white and you felt, you know, there were cultural and ethnic divides there that that made it difficult. And so on that note, 
because I mean we're in Philadelphia, it's a very diverse city, and you know Penn's campus is, I will say, compared to Front Royal, Virginia, a very very diverse place, and you know that's where I'm from. It's not very diverse, by the way, if you're curious <laughs> and you're listening. But um, you know what is what has been your experience, and take this wherever you want to. What has been your experience being? Uh, a minority in the church, what are some things maybe you've been thinking about? What are some perspectives? What are struggles? I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, as a colored person, oh, what has that been like in the church? Yeah, and go wherever you want to. Nice. This, you reminded me of stuff that I have witnessed. So I'll start generally, and then I'll tell my story. So I think, I think mostly being in a, you know, main mainline, you know, PCUSA church, predominantly white, predominantly wealthy, predominantly well-educated. It's, it's, it's mostly okay, I think, for me. I'm not that bothered by being a different color, mostly because the people are mostly aware of how, 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 how to be not racist, essentially, and, not, and especially particularly microaggressions, that they're aware of how that can come out and, you know, and it's, things do happen. It's thankfully within the church and things can be forgiven and cooperation and reconciliation is paramount in the church. And I hope that is true, or at least in my experience, because, and I, I think I've gone to mostly healthy churches. So thankfully there was no culture of like something more toxic or more sinister. So, but what is true is like, you know, being in, youth groups and just trying to be friends with people it's just i think one part of it is feeling or being perceived as different which you are as a colored person in a predominantly white community like you are different and especially for me like i am not you know stereotypically completely i guess whitewashed would be a term you could use like Americanized, mm-hmm. I guess. Like so, there are values, there are culture that is that I I hold differently than other people. So, but even if that wasn't the case, if you're totally like, you couldn't name one thing about Korea or about wherever, it's um, you still look different, right? And people have assumptions about that. And the worst thing is when they try to accommodate for your differentness, and like. <laughs> like assume that you're like this way and so that you need to do this kind of thing or say these kinds of things yeah i guess it's like the whole like don't assume but in my church so i was made a youth elder in my church and uh so i served on i was on the session which was which is for non-presbyterians it's the um congregationals like basically governing body it makes all the church the church's decisions and so I was, I was there to represent the youth in the church. And this is an example of, of how, how um, even if you are cognizant of racism, cognizant or, and devoted to reconciliation, that you're still different as a colored person. So alongside me, so I'm a youth elder. There are also two Korean elders that serve on the session board of like uh, 15 or so total members. And the reason why it's like that is because there's two congregations in my hometown church. One is like the, the you know, English speaking Anglo church and then the Korean speaking Korean church. And um, they have their own separate services for language reasons. And they also have their own separate uh, sanctuaries, I guess, like places of worship, right? And so there's a physical divide, language divide, and temporal divide because they're held at different times. And for reasons that I won't get into now, the Korean church had been hemorrhaging tons and tons of their members to other churches. And this wasn't because of like any, you know, any kind of like discrimination or racism or, you know, they weren't being pushed out essentially. There was just some theological points that were not agreed with in the Korean, Korean community that um, people left. And so the Korean congregation was, is tiny, was tiny and, and keeping up, like paying the upkeep to having this Korean congregation was starting to be a real concern for the, 
in terms of finances. And what what, what the session wanted to do was to merge the basically merge merge the Korean and Anglo services Sunday Sunday worship services into one at eleven o'clock, which is the normal like normal time, and and so that they can you know save costs, not hire a new pastor, new Korean pastor, wouldn't have to you know open the building as early, et cetera, et cetera, and this came to a shock. It came as a shock, right? My old church is one of the oldest Korean churches. Well in the area, oldest Korean churches in the area. And that really started as Market Square had, which is my church, had sent missionaries to Korea and, and, and helped people immigrate and started a Korean church there in the building. Mm. And so there was a lot of history and lo- a long history of you know creating these amazing ties between Koreans and Americans. And now that the, the the Korean congregation was so small, uh, they basically didn't want to have to pay for uh, a pastor to come and preach every Sunday. And so they were like, well, if we could just merge the two, right? And it was so, um, I, th- I think that it, it was a lot of challenge was brought to that question. And a lot of Koreans didn't want to because they don't speak English, period. So they would have a lot, like a lot of trouble with understanding what's going on and actually feel like they're worshiping in any degree in the English surface, right? Then, then the issue of, uh, this is, I think this is, this is where it really, really just became extremely painful was, uh, the point was made that, um, the Korean congregation doesn't even pay, uh, give that much during, uh, offerings. The offerings were too small. Um, they wouldn't be able to afford it because the the Korean congregation is too small, and it made like the the whole situation made it feel like it was a financial burden to have these Korean people here. That they were only here so that when when times were good, when there was tons of money lying around, that you can have this you know sharing of wealth to to these Korean people. And it's like, oh, that congregation doesn't pay that much offering. It's one church, but it's that congregation. How can you say those two things? You know, it's one congregation. Everyone pays into the same offering pool. It's one building, it's one church, one congregation. And it all came to this, like, it, it made evident that the people were thinking about the Korean congregation as an other thing. Oh, they're just part of our building, you know but they're not part of our congregation. And and that was incredibly painful and a humongous betrayal to the, the Korean people that were remaining in the church. And mm-hmm. it made it feel like they don't, that they're not welcome there anymore. That, they were never, that they were never part of the church. They never were an integral part of the church. You know, like they never changed the identity of the church, you know? Like say that, you know, say that the, it was the reverse, right? If you got rid of all the white people in the church, you know? Like, you didn't pay any white pastors and everything was in Korean now. It would be obvious that the identity of the church would have to be transformed in order to accommodate for something like that. Or by that change, that what the church is has fundamentally changed. But it was made evident was that by getting rid of the Korean-speaking congregation, part of the congregation, and not paying for a Korean-speaking pastor, it doesn't matter. The church... Identity is the same. It doesn't matter if they're gone or here. And it's like, what was that whole history about? What is all those years of building this community about? And and so the elder, the elder, which is he's amazing because Koreans hate to talk about shit like this, about how how much how shameful it is. And he he spoke to the session, being like, You you betrayed us with these words, mm. with your actions. And I got to witness this guy basically pouring his heart out being like I love this church but you guys don't see us as market square presbyterians and yeah the man like, he almost cried and I was like you know I'm almost crying too and I think it's hard I know, I, I know it's hard like that having two languages in the same building is hard and Koreans especially because we're so prideful about our culture about our language 
uh, about our services. But but yeah, like that. Yeah, it was an incredible portrayal of the Korean community, and thankfully, the church recognized its mistakes uh, and uh, recommitted to the Korean congregation, and hired a new pastor, and they're slowly, slowly picking up back to back to their regular numbers, but it's it's still very small, but it's slowly changing. So, yeah. Being otherized in church is like I think, I don't. It's so much worse than like at school or something like that, because because this is like the one place where you thought you were safe that like people wouldn't do that shit. But yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> there's my story. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Like, imagine if this was a black community that was doing. They did that. They would never. They would never do that in a black community. That'd be so obviously racist. I don't. Anyways, sorry. Not to make like make black black race like racism any like any lesser than, than Asian racism, but it's like to me yeah. the the racism that Asians experience is so much more insidious because at its face value, they're not trying to be racist. And they're tr- but yeah. It's it's always like the under channels. Oh, yeah, no that's real. Yeah, I mean that's a real reality. Go Tommy. <laughs> Well, wasn't a question. Um, so, Paul, as we're wrapping up on our time here, I want to say a couple things. First, I definitely really appreciate how you have committed to our community. One, in the Wuck Squad, but two, especially, this mean, means a lot to me personally with the Akinos, how you would always show up, represent, be there till 2 a.m. with us, talking about whatever it is we were talking about. So I really, I'm so grateful that you that was a mistake. Uh, decided I to I just want to say that at 2 a.m., should not have stayed that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's good. It's good. It was for the community. I. It's a worthy sacrifice. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and yeah, just seeing, hearing your testimony as you've grown. One, one time we were sitting in Greek Lady and you described it as when you were younger, you knew God. And now as you've grown, you've met Jesus. And I thought that was a really cool way of putting it. And it's definitely, when you said that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And now as you've spoken here, it. I can see how that's been true in your life in a lot of ways. So that's so cool. So cool. So yeah, do you have any closing thoughts, Paul, about anything you've said, if you want to elaborate more? Anything about, we didn't ask you the Christian Union in five years question. No, we should ask the Christian Union in five if you years have question. strong feelings about that, you can ask. Oh, sure. <laughs> that's a good closing thoughts. <laughs> Christian Union in five years. I'm not, yeah, wow. What 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 is the most meaningful thing? I think... How do we, I think, I think it's, now that I'm thinking about it more and like basically on our way out, I think Christian Union needs, like, or I would love to see Christian Union basically doing what it's already doing is developing Christian leaders and staying gospel centered. And I think for me in five years, if people understand the gospel and and know how to apply it to their life and are seeking after God and, and desperately need Jesus's help and live on the Holy Spirit. That's, that's all I can ever hope for because honestly, I, I think it doesn't, it doesn't matter how big it is. I don't, think, I don't think it matters how welcoming it is or how accessible it is. I think all those things come out of having true believers you can have a welcoming christian union with true believers but as long as people have their eyes fixed on christ and are maturing in their faith and being honest disciples i think i think christian union will be the like most important place you should be at penn yeah that's great thank you so much yeah yeah thanks for having me guys yeah no actually thank you so much for coming on here, Paul, like, I don't know. I just like think about like everything that you've, that I've learned through you in like the past year, last summer, the conversations we had and like, yeah, with what you, what you were saying about like being known or feeling like you weren't known. Um, mm. I can certainly say that a large part of me not having experienced that was because I was able to talk to you on like several, several occasions about several things. Mm. And I don't know why it worked or how it worked, but like, 
I remember conversations we would have, like me, you, and Tommy. Tommy would say all these things, ask me all these questions, and then I'd be like, ah, they're like figuring me out. And then like you ask like two questions, and you instantly know what's going on, like in my mind. Now. I'm like, what? Like how? Is I, that, this that's happen? honestly <laughs> really lucky nice. match right here. Really lucky match. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know how to say. It. I've probably said this to you before, but like. Really, you felt like an older brother to me at several times, um, mm. like one that I've never had before. So, I'm glad. Really appreciate um, the spirit's work in you, Paul. And like, yeah, it's incredible to just hear your testimony to see how you've become the person that you are today. And yeah, I don't know. God is so good. God is so good. That was the best. I'm relieved. Anyways, that brings yeah. us to the end of our podcast, where we say this episode was brought to you. Yes, you brought to it. you by Christian Union Martis. Martis. Uh, it was recorded, Artist. produced, and edited by Just Be Records. Special thanks to Paul Um for being with us today. The views of the speakers and hosts are not necessarily reflective of Christian Union as a whole. We thank you for listening, and we hope you got the gospel today from this episode. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.